time to rip and tear some more. Our Demon Slayers. I'm Dustin. And I'm Connor. And welcome to the still-named Video Games Are Cool podcast. Haven't sorted that one out yet. So this week we're going to talk about Doom Eternal. After last week's Doom series, sort of retrospective e podcast, this one will be more of a traditional episode where we'll go through the game as a whole in way more detail, talk about each sort of level, each area, each story plot point, as much detail as we can, and sort of give you a more well-rounded critique of the game as a whole. So uh, this was released in March, March 20, 2020, just about a week ago as of recording this episode. Yeah, and it was a bit weird because we did have the big, you know, virus stuff, so I actually ended up getting it on the 19th. Important to note, actually, I'm glad you said that, we are recording this in a different location because of the coronavirus. So if it sounds a little weird, that's why. Honestly, if it sounds better, maybe this will become our new permanent location. Who knows? We'll figure it out. But I did manage to pick this up on March 19th when it was intended to come out March 20th, and... You know, it was an extra day of this game, which is not a bad thing, I will say now. <laughs> yeah, you got you got lucky with that one. Uh, it, it's developed again, obviously, by its Software. It released on PC, PS4, Xbox One, Stadia, um, which I, I'm not positive if that's out yet or if that's coming out. I'm pretty sure it is out. I have literally heard nobody talk about it, which is probably more commentary on Stadia than it is this version of the game. And then it's also coming out on Switch with no confirmed release date, but eventually. And who knows, maybe those versions are out by the time this is posted, but as of recording, it's they're not out, maybe. And I will admit ignorance on the Stadia thing. I probably should have looked that up, but eh. Yeah, I don't super care about Stadia, so. Yeah, I mean, I hope, you, I hope it's working for people. Yeah. Genuinely, I do. So, also, I think to note, for context, on the same day they put out Doom 64, for the first time ever re-released, which we talked about a little bit last podcast, which is cool. And then also on, uh, for context, just in terms of the general culture, they also released Animal Crossing on the same day, which had a lot of fun art and stuff associated with it, which I really would encourage people to go look up. Yeah, just Isabel from Animal Crossing hanging out with the Doom Slayer. Doom Slayer hanging out just playing on his Switch in a big t- Hawaiian t-shirt. They're very great. Um, all the artists doing that stuff do a great job. Really fun. I, I really would uh, recommend people go, and I assume it's still there, but IGN, on their reviews, they had custom art by an artist called Amanda Flagg, I believe her name is, who did the sort of cover art for their reviews and their crossovers with both of them, and they're both phenomenal pieces, so go check those out, and any more you can think of, honestly. Yeah, and another word about the release of this game, it was intended to come out in November of 2019. That's right. Which I was worried about, not for the quality of the game, but because that was also the month that like a bunch of other games were coming out. So I was really, you know, financially worried, but also just timing wise. But it did get pushed back to March, putting it on the same day as Animal Crossing, which also got delayed. But as a sort of apology for delay, which I don't think they need to do that. I'm glad it got delayed because it... I think it turned out better for it. They released Doom 64 as a pre-order bonus to anyone who pre-ordered. They just get Doom 64 on the same console for free. And then they had some other like store exclusive pre-order bonuses. Yeah, which is super cool. And get a free game with your game. That's awesome. Yeah, I know that's not relevant now, but it was a super cool thing for the devs to do when it released. Also, if you're listening to this in the future sometime and you're like, oh, I missed 
free Doom 64. Doom 64 is $5. They put it out for 5 bucks. Yeah, you're not... Just like the other classic releases, which is awesome. So it's not going to break the bank if you want to try that game as well. And I'm sure that will go on sale as well. So let's let's get into it a little uh, deeper. We have some... Since it's only a week after it's released, we don't have like hard sales figures. But thanks to Eurogamer, we know that it was the best opening week sales for the franchise. Pretty cool. Meaning it sold better than the last game, which I think also... In the first week. Yeah, which also sold like hotcakes on the first week as well so yeah well and actually it doubled the launch weekend revenue of doom 2016 oh so well there you go yeah really really awesome and then we know it hit a hundred thousand concurrent players on steam over its launch weekend so again i wish we had more hard figures to give you but that's what we have for now and they're they seem pretty impressive and if it's anything like doom 2016 it'll probably have a pretty long tail and be very successful oh yeah it's only been out for about a week about 10 days since i got it and i've already played through the entire thing twice 100 percenting it one of the times like i could see myself playing this as much as i have 2016 so yeah for sure i think i i can too it is the fifth mainline doom game maybe six depending on how you count doom 64 whether you count that as a mainline game or a spinoff or how you count doom 3 uh so let's talk about how this game plays which is both very similar to doom 6 to Doom 2016, but also very different. They kind of layered on a ton of mechanics onto what was already there. Uh, the most notable of which I believe is the flamethrower. And this sort of feeds into the general combat loop of the game as a whole, which has had some changes. So the flamethrower in general, flamethrow some, uh, some enemies and then shoot them and you'll get armor back. Yeah, it's known as the flame belch flame in belch, game, yes. but it's a shoulder mounted flamethrower. It ignites all the demons in front of you within a certain radius. And then shooting them will cause them to drop armor, and then killing them will cause them to drop even more armor. Which feeds into the combat loop from Journey 16, which is if you stagger an enemy, you can get a glory kill to get health back. And then if you chainsaw an enemy, you get ammo back. And those work the same as they did in the last game, with the small yet extremely huge detail of the chainsaw fuel. In the last one, we mentioned that the chainsaw fuel has to be picked up around the arena. That works great. In this one, you can hold up to three chainsaw ammo and you can still find it in the arena, but the last one will refill so that you always have one. And that is essential. Yes. And also the the flame belch works the same way, where it is also on a cooldown and you use it and then you have a certain amount of time to wait until you can use it again. So the big thing about the the chainsaw needing to be refilled is that ammo is very scarce in this game. You're not going to find as often. You can't hold as much, which is kind of a problem at the beginning because it's it makes the game hard. You're sort of scrounging for every bit of ammo you can get until you realize that that's the loop that you need to to appear to. It also sort of encourages you to switch guns as often as possible between different ammo types. Unlike June 2016 where I felt like you kind of get the super shotgun and you're kind of good. Yeah, you can kind of kill most things with the super shotgun or the chain gun and then just call it a day. This one, it encourages you to swap between the different ammo types to make sure you don't use up all your ammo. And having that chainsaw fuel refill on a cooldown is huge because when you don't have a lot of ammo and you know your chainsaw fuel is going to come back, then you're a lot more willing to use the chainsaw more frequently compared to in 2016 where I hardly used it because I was worried I was going to run out of fuel when I needed it and then never used it. Yeah, and because of that, you're kind of using less as a get-out-of-jail-free card for bigger demons, which is how I used it in 2016 a lot. Yeah. 
like, oh, this Mancubus won't leave me alone, so I'll just chainsaw him because I have the fuel. This one, you're kind of using it on lesser zombie enemies just to get more ammo because you constantly need it. Those lesser zombie enemies are actually categorized in the game as fodder, so they know what you're going to use them for. You're going to use them to glory kill them to get more health, to flame belch them to get Mm -hmm. more armor, or to chainsaw them to get more ammo so that you have resources to deal with the bigger threats on the field. Yep, and then another new mechanic they added was the blood punch, which is another cooldown. So that's three cooldowns so far. This one's not... Is It's a different cooldown because this one is actually you have to charge and it charges by glory killing enemies. Yeah. I would argue it's... it's. I had trouble figuring out when my blood punch was up. Did you? Um, I never paid attention to it. It just didn't stand out to me. So I'd always forget. I forgot about that mechanic constantly. Which would get me into trouble because also in this game they have nerfed melee significantly. Yeah, just punching an enemy does... Nothing. It does zero damage to that enemy. It does does a tiny bit. One time I hit a guy and it staggered him, so I'm like, oh, okay, there's something. But it's so minuscule and it just means nothing. If hitting someone with the super shotgun deals like 1,500 damage, then punching them deals one. It is really minuscule. It's... it's, I I honestly don't understand why. I don't think it was... I think it's weird. You can make your melee weak, but that weak... I still found a use for the default melee, though, as a way to falter enemies. That's not fully staggering them to where you can uh, glory kill them, but just interrupting their attack. And certain weapons will do that to the bigger enemies, like the chain gun on the Dread Knights will falter them automatically. But punching a demon will cause it to falter, and that might give you enough time to back away and get some space. So if they're swarming you, you can use it that way. The blood punch is obviously extremely better. Yeah. You, Once it's charged, um, which again, you charge by glory killing demons. Once it's charged, you can punch a demon and it will let out a shockwave that damages most of the enemies in front of you. Also giving you health. Yes. It should be noted. Which can help for sort of crowd control and messy situations, which this game really loves to put you in. Um, so if you desperately need health, that can get you out of a pinch. No shit like me and forget it's not up yet, <laughs> and then just hit the air. Yeah, um, one of the first things I actually did when I booted up this game was I turned the HUD size up. I turned it bigger just because I felt like I needed to see it more. Yeah, it's it's very confusing, and I think that contributes to one of my criticisms, which we'll talk about coming up, about sort of kind of the messiness of the whole thing. But to move on, there's also a new extra life system, and these work... You're sort of finding big floating extra life icons, kind of like an old 90s video game. Yeah, it's a 3D model of Doomguy's head with the word 1-up on top of it. It's very, very video gamey. Neon green, very obviously sticks out in the environment. But these, once you die, you respawn immediately in the same spot. With all your health refilled. Which I love in concept. I think it's a good, I think it's a good way to speed up the gameplay, to make sure you're not dying as often, not really reloading checkpoints as often. And sure, it kind of makes some of it a little bit easier. But I think the difficulty of this game is tuned for it. Yeah, and having that extra, you know, knowing that you're not going to have to die and restart the whole fight. If you have that extra life in the top corner, you can be a little more reckless and just knowing that you're not going to die as easily. And it also makes that collectible worth it because you know that's going to be useful and you can use it further on instead of, you know, finding something that you're not going to use. Like chainsaw fuel when your chainsaw's full in the last game. Right. Totally. I do wish when you when it happened, when you were rezzed up, 
that it would give you like an AOE burst or something to crowd control a bit. Because every once in a while, if there's if you're dying because there's a ton of there's a ton of demons on top of you, you respawn immediately back into the fray with all those demons, and I'd end up losing a bunch of health. Yeah, and it does give you a brief window of invincibility, but it's very brief. Yeah, and that's the thing about this game is the enemies are extremely aggressive, and it is possible to get cornered into a wall, not a corner, just a flat wall mm-hmm. by a swarm of demons, and have not a lot of options to get out but there are options if you have a blood punch you can punch them away you can use the bfg if you have ammo for it or you can try and double jump over them and dash and that's another one of those new mechanics if you want to get into that the dashing yes did you 2016 not have dashing no that button was reserved for crouching okay so that speaks to how well implemented the dashing is i played doom 2016 over the summer and played this game and went oh this the dashing's back thought doom 2016 had dashing <laughs> no the dashing That's hilarious the dashing is a fantastic yeah. mechanic in this game it you have two dashes almost like celeste if you played that game which in that one you had one but it works very similar you dash and then you have to wait for your dash to refill, but it won't refill while you're in the air. Once you touch ground, then it can actually refill them, so you're not going to yeah. be flying, basically. And it's it's great because you can use it for traversal, for platforming, or it, you can use it as sort of like a Devil May Cry-style dodge roll, which is great. Yeah, and it's really useful against things like pinkies, which are going to charge directly at you. You can dodge out of the way, or... Things like the Revenant's rockets, if they're targeting you, then your HUD will tell you that they're targeting you and you can dash to break line of sight. It's very handy. I use it all the time, even when backtracking, because it moves a little faster than just walking. But it's it's one of those mechanics that speaks to how fast the game is, but also just makes the game feel that much faster. Yeah, I can't believe 2016 didn't have dashing. Wow. Dashing should be in all games, though, in my defense. Yeah, that's fair. It's never, never a bad thing. Uh, the other, I, I think it's a cool addition, is weak points on enemies. And calling them weak points, I think, is a little bit of a a little bit of a misnomer. You're not going to do more damage shooting those points, but you are going to kneecap an ability a demon has. Yeah, you're going to... you're also going to change that demon's AI and Mm -hmm. the way it works because um, the first example like right out of the gate is the Arachnotron returning from Doom 2. It's a tiny spider mastermind. It's great. But it has this turret on the back of it that can shoot plasma rounds that really hurt Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it can shoot you from really far away. But if you land a direct shot with the scope mod on the assault rifle or with like the grenade mod on this regular combat shotgun then you'll destroy the cannon and then it'll charge at you yeah it will charge at you and then use its grenades more as an attack and try and get up and attack you but it won't be able to snipe you from really far away it feels like a really dumbed down version of horizon zero dawn's hunting stuff where if you found like a giant dinosaur with a cannon on its back you could shoot the cannon off of its back and in that game you could pick the cannon up and use it but it feels like that, where you're suddenly changing the fight dynamics and changing the sort of core AI, like you said, which and, I think is really cool. Yeah, and in a really frantic fight, using that to take care of the Arachnotron's turret or the Mancubus arm cannons, it can really, you know, maybe you don't have all the resources to kill a Mancubus right now, but you have enough to take care of its cannon so it's not as big a threat while you go 
get ammo by chainsawing a dude or go refill your health a little bit. And just prioritizing not just targets, but also parts of targets, I think is really smart and keeps you thinking about the battlefield as a whole. Totally. One of my favorite new additions, the Super Shotgun, has a attachment called the Meat Hook, which acts like a grappling hook in a game like, say, Devil May Cry, where you attach it to enemies and it slings the Doom Slayer toward the enemy. Which, it's. I kind of wish it was on every gun, because <laughs> it feels so good, and... It's perfect for this game. It helps helps you move around the battlefield very speedily. And once you upgrade the meat hook completely, it'll set enemies on fire, which will also give you armor, just like the flame belch, which makes it incredibly useful. Yeah, you can, once it's fully upgraded, you can grapple onto a fodder enemy from really far away, get a bunch of armor, or even a really viable way of using the meat hook is grapple onto a fodder en- enemy and then don't shoot it with a shotgun, but chainsaw it. So you just move in closer, helps you move around. I feel like you were saying you want it on every gun, and I can see that because I feel like it would be a really interesting platforming tool. Yes, that's the thing, is I want this to be incorporated into more of the game. Like, it works so well. and I can only think of one moment where you use it to platform, and that's right after you get it. They put a fodder enemy on a cliff and say, okay, meat hook it cool that's how the meat hook works and then we're never going to use that for platforming yeah. again there are some arenas where like there are holes and pits and stuff that you can use but I, I i wish it was more incorporated yeah but using it in combat as a as one of your many tools is still really satisfying it's very fun and it led to moments where i was even using the super shotgun even when it was out of ammo just to use that the meat hook yeah you can use the super shotgun meat hook out of ammo grapple onto an enemy chainsaw get your shotgun ammo back and then continues the super shotgun it's really it's a really useful tool and all the mods for the weapons well not all the mods but a lot of the mods are pretty useful in that way um in ways that 2016 didn't exactly have what do you think what was your what was some of your favorite mods for the weapons oh the me hook which barely counts because you get it from the start like they know it's just attached <laughs> they to don't the super you shotgun. don't unlock it or anything you just get it um, other than that, I actually found myself using the scope a lot on the heavy cannon, which I did not use in Doom 2016, like, at all. And in this game, I was using it constantly. Yeah, because in 2016, it was mainly just a way to be a little more accurate with your shots, which is mm-hmm. perfectly fair. In this one, it takes six shots, six ammo per shot, but it does, like, instantly take out weak points of demons, like the Arachnatron turret, and getting it'll instantly kill fodder enemies with headshots and it's really practical and the micro missiles on this um assault rifle i did not use because of the usefulness of the super of the scope yeah barely used it at all and then i also really liked which i believe is a new addition the shield on the chain gun it's not it's something big it kind of reminds me of what's that dude's name the overwatch character like uh reinhardt yeah it's kind of like a reinhardt shield and you can just kind of shoot through it and move around the arena and it prevents damage it's pretty useful yeah, I, I'm mainly a person that uses the mobile turret still. Yep, the mobile turret puts on a lot of damage. I love the crazy amount of damage it can put out. It also looks cool. Yeah, you deploy this massive turret with three spinning gatlings to destroy something. It's very satisfying. And that is the thing we should note, is there are barely any new weapons in this game. They're kind of all just reskins of what was in 2016. Yeah, they, fine. some of them have different names. You know, you have the... The combat shotgun, super shotgun, those are the same. The assault rifle and the chain gun are the same. 
and then the plasma rifle, but the Gauss cannon is replaced by the ballista, which works it mostly the looks same. The same. It looks cooler. It looks way cooler. I really like the weapon redesigns, especially the rocket launcher. Oh, the rocket launcher looks phenomenal. The rocket launcher looks like one of those PS2 controllers that you can see through. Yeah, and you can see the it's rockets great. being loaded, and it has this fiery, demonic look to it. It's very cool. And then you get the, the BFG eventually, and that works the same as it did before. Yeah, and then there's a there's one that I won't spoil here, but there's kind of a surprise new weapon in there as well. But other than that, they're kind of all the same. And also, you they ditched the pistol, so that no longer exists in this game, which does create a small problem. Not really anything worth talking about, but occasionally in an arena, you'll find yourself left with a couple of fodder enemies. And if you're like me, I'm like, well, I don't want to waste ammo on these guys. But they don't really give you a weapon to kind of take them out, to handle that. And again, because your melee is so weak. It just kind of leads to this like awkward thing of like, I don't know, just punch these guys over and over again. And I found out if you dash into them, you can hurt them. But it's just a little, it's a little weird thing and probably only bothers me as an OCD person. Where like, I just want to kill everything in this arena and then move on. Yeah, well, and that would bother me a lot more if ammo wasn't so easy to obtain. It may be limited, but chains, having the chainsaw refill, I'm not worried about chainsaw ammo, so... Usually if there's a couple fodder guys left, I'll use the combat shotgun, just take them out, and then use the chainsaw on the last one to get that ammo back. It, I think not having it is actually more beneficial because then it doesn't take up a weapon wheel slot, which if you, when you're running out of ammo and it's automatically switching to the next one, if you got swapped into the pistol and, had, and mm-hmm. did, you know, cheap pea shooter shots, then... I feel like that would be more annoying than dealing with a couple fodder enemies. Yeah, and part of the reason the pistol existed in 2016 was it was a weapon that was infinite ammo. And in this game, because they're encouraging you to always be chainsawing people, that really is not a factor anymore. And the chainsaw now has infinite ammo yeah, in a way. So it, it you don't really need that to... It was kind of a way to not softlock yourself. <laughs> yeah. So fun fact about the pistol, actually. I saw that modders had uncovered one in the code of this game. Hmm. And it works differently from Doom 2016's. It looks more like a, like, it seems like it uses bullets. I watched a Twitter video, so um, I might be a bit off. But it also seemed like if you scoped in with it, you do precision shots. If you didn't, you do a three-round burst. Kind of like the um, the f- sort of four run-up pistols from Halo. Halo 4 and 5. Which I thought was interesting. It's interesting to see that they implemented it and then took it out. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, they just had bigger weapons to work on i don't mm. know if that i don't think we really needed a pistol i didn't miss it too much so so a couple of other things they added secret encounters and demon gates and these are basically optional arena fights secret encounters are kind of quick little time things um you can get an upgrade point for doing them some of them are ridiculously easy and some of them are ridiculously hard yeah the balance there was kind of all over the place there's one where they just throw there's a couple that throw mini bosses at you, but there's one that throws the most annoying mini boss at you. Which ex- we'll, we will talk about. In a expects second. to expects you to do it in like thirty seconds, which is not really how the AI works. So mm-hmm. that one can be a little annoying, but for the most part, they're decent. They kind of test your knowledge of their weak points, especially the ones that throw like caco demons at you, which are super easy to kill in this game mm-hmm. because just launching any type of grenade into their mouth instantly staggers them which is pretty satisfying to do i mean you can kill them with regular bullets as well but doing that on a time limit just forces you to use that 
it's also a cool collectible you know you find a collectible that makes it so that you can fight more guys and that's always great in a doom game and then the demon gates are basically like you have to you find them in the level and you have to find a key which are usually right around the demon gate this is the key to slayer's gate yes slayer's gate sorry you unlock it with the key and then you get transported to a new uh to a not a new arena but a an arena a unique arena to the yeah. slayer's gate yeah yeah and then you fight a group of demons and these are really good i find i think they're sort of the hardest this game gets and with, i love that I think without playing really the great. master levels of yeah. course we didn't try those out in terms of like standard campaign playthrough and i love them i think they're a great way to test your skills and unlike the secret encounters they just feel more balanced in that every time you come across a slayer's gate it's probably going to be challenging you understand that and so i i just really appreciated them yeah uh, the slayer's gates are really great the added challenge is welcomed but the fact that they do use enemies from later in the game than you're supposed to see (laughs) is a little annoying but we can talk about that later the slayer's gates are a way to get an the empyrean keys which unlocks a secret after you get all six of them and then let's talk about this game added a bunch of new demons i kind of feel like the most major new ones are the demon hunter um and which are these guys that kind of hover around yeah and they have a you have to kind of kill them twice they have a shield and you have to destroy that shield first and then you have to destroy them afterwards the the doom slayers they have an entire fortress that introduces them but yeah they have a shield while they're riding on their sled and then once you either destroy their sled or their shield and then deal enough damage to them they'll detach from the sled and move around differently and then you can you have to kill them that way as well yep and then the arachnatron which we kind of talked about already which is returning from doom 2 it's great it's a giant brain on spider legs that when you shoot has rib cages inside of the brain real stupid looking it's fantastic the archvile which is an enemy that it's kind of crucial to take out first this enemy will buff other demons and spawn new demons yep so you kind of have to you kind of have to focus on them first which i don't mind i think is kind of a cool whatever change of pace for the arena fights yeah he can also throw up a shield for himself a he can throw fire on the ground to damage you or just straight up throw like fire blasts at you as well he's a really nasty can deal a lot of damage and Mm -hmm. you're forced to fight him first so that's good and then probably my least favorite addition uh which i'm not alone in this but the marauder and this guy he's essentially lorize a former slayer like yourself like your character and he puts up a challenge man i don't think they're very fun to fight yeah it's not because they're challenging to be clear actually it's the opposite i think they're very boring (laughs) so you kind of the first fight you introduce these guys, it's fine. It's a boss fight. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. It gives them a health health bar so you can see how much health, which is kind of crucial to my criticism of this enemy. But it takes forever. And the thing about these guys is they're humanoid. They carry an axe, a big cool looking axe, and a shield. And a double barrel shotgun. A double barrel shotgun like you have. And the thing is, if you get too close, they're going to shoot you with a shotgun. If you get too far away, they're going to launch. They're going to shoot like energy beams with their axe, kind of like... Link does with the sword in Zelda. And they will spawn an AI hologram dog, which will do damage to you. Wolf thing. And that sucks. It just sucks. Like, the problem is they have that shield. And you can't really do damage to them until they telegraph an attack. Which, to be fair, is very obvious. Their eyes glow green and it's a very slow attack. So it's not hard. And it has a distinctive noise and all that. So you can easily tell when an attack is coming. But 
the window to actually hit them once they do that is the only time that you can damage them. Which means that the only weapons that are worth using on this enemy are the super shotgun and the ballista. And it's just not fun. It doesn't feel like the identity of this game to kind of force you into one method of defeating this guy. It just, it kind of takes away the choice, I find. And these guys become a huge problem in arena fights with lots of other demons. You kind of have to prioritize everything else before you get to them. And I actually enjoy that aspect of them. You know, you're... It's kind of a, sim- a more intense version of something like the Archvile, where the Archvile shows up and... Or it's kind of a reverse of the Archvile, because the Archvile shows mm-hmm. up and you have to deal with that first and then the rest of the demons, whereas this you have to deal with the rest of the demons and then him. Yeah, that's fine. It's just, The problem is once you do that, the fight with him is boring. Like, it just is, and... I think that sucks because it's not that it's challenging. I've been seeing lots of people say it's hard. I think that's wrong. No offense to those people. I think they're mistaking hard for monotonous because this this guy has so much health. It's ridiculous. You have to pump so many rounds into him. Enough that where you can pump an entire your entire super shotgun ammo. Twice. Yeah. And you have to go get more. And they have to keep spawning fodder enemies in so you can replenish your ammo, your ammo supply. And it just, it takes forever. And that's the problem. And it just, it really kills the pacing and the speed for me, at least. Yeah, and it does kind of help that most of the time when you have to fight one, they throw it at the end of an arena. So after, it's basically like, okay, I've taken care of this arena. Here's the boss fight of this arena. Once I kill that, then the fight's over. You're not starving yourself for shotgun ammo and then have to continue fighting after that. It's mainly, okay, here's the boss you kill that, you get to move on. But I do agree it's a lot slower of an enemy. He moves extremely fast, mm-hmm. and that's... You can't get away. Yeah, and he will try to get behind you as well, which is frustrating. But I agree that the the fact that that shield can block literally everything... Including the BFG. Yeah. You can't even cheese them if you're frustrated with them. Every super weapon, every heavy weapon, it's really only the super shotgun or the ballista... And, and sure, you can use other... I mean, other weapons will damage him if you hit him within that window, but it's not worth it. Yeah, and they usually take too long to deal enough damage in the window. And yeah, it's... I enjoy the fights when he shows up, but not not frequently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And like I said, the first time he shows up when they treat it like a boss fight, it's fine. And I honestly think if they gave them health bars all the time, it would help leave some of that even if it didn't change the amount of health they had not knowing is really frustrating and they do get a little battle damaged you you can kind of tell but still it's just so much and we should note that the doom hunter when that shows up also has health bars but then doesn't afterwards but that's it's not as frustrating that's fine and also the ai is kind of split in two halves so you know when you've halfway killed it and Mm -hmm. i don't know the marauder just feels like you're not forced to use two weapons yeah it's a it is a challenge of you feel like you're going up against another slayer but it's an unfair fight because of the shield anyway satisfying to kill has really great glory kills but i wouldn't want to fight them over and over again and then the last edition which i think is phenomenal it's a new hub area called the fortress of doom and i love me a good hub in video games i really do it's just cool. I love returning to it. I love seeing it grow. You kind of unlock... You kind of find these batteries as collectibles, and you can unlock 
little rooms to get more collectibles. It's just, it's nice. Yeah, and I enjoy... Hub areas can be kind of divisive, where if they're done poorly and they have nothing going on, then that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. Look at some of the 3D Sonic games, for example. Some of those hub areas have nothing going on. But in this case, it's fun to run around. And I actually missed it in some of the cases where you go from level to level. Like, you know, story-wise, you're not, you don't have a chance to return back yep. between levels. I was like, oh, but I kind of want to return to the I hub. Agree. Like, yeah. Um, which is good because that's a good hub area. You know, it has collectibles that you can use to get other things in the area. Doom guy has his own room with a his computer set up, and you can see the weapons and all those little collectibles, and that's always fun to see your collectibles grow. And I I really like the hub area. I do too. It's got a lot of personality. It's not you know it's not as great as something like the villa from Assassin's Creed Two, but it's it's pretty good. It's a it's a fun time, and I am a sucker for a good hub. Yeah. To be honest with you, and I think it makes the presentation really nice, and it's just cool. All right, are you ready to move on to story, or do you have anything else to say? Um, about mechanics the i don't know the mechanics are really satisfying once again the combat is just fast faster than 2016 which was already pretty fast it is intense i will warn about that if you get fatigued halfway through no shame it is exhausting but it is extremely fun to master and i love the love the combat i love the another one of the new additions you didn't mention was he has climbable walls which leads to cool platforming Mm -hmm. um the motion and platforming is really satisfying it's fast-paced but interesting and it's yeah it's nice it's not frustrating it's very simple and it's satisfying which is all it needs to be yeah and it breaks up the pace and it in order to you know give you a break between fighting but yeah the platforming is great the combat's great i love the way this game feels so real quick the premise before we turn people away for spoilers It's hell on earth. Demons have invaded. Doomslayer ain't happening. He's coming in. There are three hell priests he needs to kill. Doesn't super tell you why at first, but that's sort of the premise is you're finding these three hell priests. Yeah, Vega says something like, oh, there's a ritual that needs all three or just needs at least one and you have to kill them to stop the demons. And that's pretty much all the motivation you need, so... Mm -hmm. And then real quick, we didn't really talk about it, but kind of mentioning it throughout. What's your general opinion of the game as a whole? It's fantastic. I think it exceeds 2016 in just about every way. Um, I can see myself playing this over and over again. I've already played it twice in this last week. Yeah, really, really fantastic. It's worth the 60. I'm sure it'll go down in some case if you want to wait for that, but it is worth playing for sure. Completely agree. I think my biggest criticism is the beginning of the game. I think it's very complicated with all these new systems, which I'll go into in a little bit more detail in a second. But I, I think once you get a hold of that, it's very fun. It's a very satisfying loop. And it's got like a billion difficulty settings. So if you want to replay it in any way, it's got what like seven difficulties. Yeah, I played it on normal for the first time and then easy mode for the second time because I was doing extra life mode for an achievement. And, you know, easy mode is... A little too easy in my case, and normal mode is just difficult enough, but if you want a challenge, it's there. If you are not into shooters, but want something really cool looking, mm-hmm. easy mode's there. It's Satisfying, gory, like... Full-on power trip. If you want that, then this is definitely the game to get. And also, just like last time, the music is phenomenal. 
Oh yeah, just um, great. Uh, the biggest difference in the music is the choir in some of the tracks. It is goofy as hell, but man, is it powerful when it shows up. It's great. It, it's really, really good stuff. So with that, we're going to talk story. We're going to kind of walk through beat by beat, talk about it. So if you don't want to hear about this story and plot of this game, we're also probably going to discuss mechanical stuff. So spoilers for late game weapons and things like that. So if you want out, get out. If not, goes into our analysis. first bit i think the game does a poor job of explaining to you and get you getting you up to speed i learned this from wikipedia this game takes two years takes place two years after doom 2016 yeah why don't they say that i've i was one of the crazy people that actually read all of the data logs it doesn't actually fully explain that in the data logs either so it's just it's mainly not you know set time it's like okay this is after 2016 <laughs> cool yeah um, part of the biggest problem with that, though, is we start off in the Fortress of Doom, and it's kind of like this, like, you have a space castle? Yo, where'd you get that space castle? Yeah, none of the lore files explain that either. Which makes me think DLC, which is not a satisfying thing to think. Like, that kind of stinks. I, I kind of wish there was something there to explain that a bit. But whatever. 60% of Earth's population has been wiped out. Ouch. And three health priests working under... The con maker are sort of our objectives. Yeah, the con maker is a huge, like porcelain-looking angelic figure, um, and she controls the three hell priests who are causing this demonic un- invasion on Earth. I have the full backstory written out, and there's some important bits there, but it's, you know, in in terms of just basic story, it's here's three guys that you need to go kill, and then the con maker controls them. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a Doom game, so I'm not expecting a ton of detail, but a little bit would be nice. But we open up the first level, Hell on Earth, and we kill the first, first priest almost right away. It's great. Yeah, you walk into three rooms, and then the Doom guy just runs up and decapitates him immediately. Yeah, it's awesome. The intro to this game in general is really well done. It's got the music and... Really nice motion graphics, the Bethesda logo and the It Software logo. It's it's just really nice, and you kind of get into it right away. It teaches you how to play, and then you kill the first priest. And so we we go through the level. It's like I said, it's Hell on Earth. You're in a city. I don't think it says where, but it's nondescript human city, which already it has more of a visual identity than the first game, which is great. Yeah, you have these demonic like cages filled with bodies in this in the very start of it and then you get to the city and the city architecture and lighting and all that is differentiated from even earlier in the same stage Mm -hmm. and then you look to your left and there's a giant god of war ass (laughs) looking titan it's it's looks really cool and visually it's it's pretty stunning and I, i loved it yeah and then this level ends with you taking a teleporter onto the back of one of the titans where they're carrying a temple with the remaining hell priests you interrupt them but they escape and then you head back to the fortress and then 
after we're done at the fortress, we get our ice bomb, which I should have mentioned before, but I barely used. You you seem to have used it more than I did, but it essentially works like you think it would. It freezes enemies, it's sort of an alternative to your grenade, but you could use it to sort of crowd control and sort of just I don't know. Yeah, it gives you the crowd a little bit. Uh, that's another way to get out of being cornered, which is helpful. I mainly use it against the one of the other new demons, the Whiplash, because she moves really fast, so I mainly just slow her down to deal more mm. damage. There is an upgrade that when you shoot a frozen enemy, it will give you health. That is extremely helpful. But yeah, it's just like another grenade. It's cool to have. I think it's... I don't hate it being there. So next we move on to Exalta. Uh, apologies for the pronunciation on these. I'm terrible at that, about that in general, but especially when they're made up religious-y fantasy words. I'm especially terrible at it. So this is kind of like, and this was, by the way, the moment where I went, well, they really do care about diversity in terms of graphics and art styles and stuff like that. We move into this sort of mossy castle-like area, and it's very green and gray, and it just looks so much different from Doom 2016, and it was kind of a wow moment for me, at least. Yeah, you have these light blues contrasted with these dark vegetation greens, and the architecture is all these, like, dome castles um and you get some like decrepit type of ruins stuff in there which is also very cool it gives off a different tone from the first game by a wide margin yeah and this is the sentinel world which one of one of the sentinel worlds which by the way apparently you're sentinel i think Mm, kind of no so (laughs) in the in the lore, and this was true in the last game as well, but I didn't read all of those in the first game, in the last game, but the Sentinels are a race of alien warrior people. This is your backstory in case you feel like playing this game and don't understand the plot. No, please, the game doesn't tell us, so... Yeah, they're a race of warrior people led by a king and the Order Deog, which are three priests essentially and then a long time ago they get visited by the con maker and the maker angels they convert the priests the Daog priests into their sort of acolytes and give the sentinels a bunch of technology to explore the universe that's where all of these worlds come from and then one day the doomslayer just shows up randomly outside of Mm -hmm. one of their castles and okay that's where he comes from is he's not a sentinel but he just kind of randomly showed up so he's a okay so sentinel is a race not an not a job (laughs) yes that's right there are the knight sentinels and the that is a specific class of knight in the sentinel worlds but it's a it's a race of alien people okay okay so that's where some of my confusion came from so we're essentially on this world to find a celestial locator which is a macguffin that'll help us find the other macguffin which is the hell priest Video gamey ass plot. That's mm-hmm. it, get the thing it, it to find it, the thing to help you find the other thing. So we find it with this old ass night sentinel. <laughs> I don't know what his deal is. He kind of comes up once. Yeah. So you do encounter the ghost of the king, which was King Novik. That was the last king before the war ended in catastrophe, which I will explain later. The but then you it's not activated when you get it. So you take it to the betrayer which I would I honestly thought would have a lot more story significance but 
he activates the celestial locator and gives you this knife to say, "Hey, go rescue my son's heart if you show if you find it." Cool, and then that isn't explained for like the rest of the game up until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the betrayer, uh, towards the end of the war, which there's a bunch of lore in between that, he actually closes a hell portal on the celestial or on the sentinel warriors scattering them in hell and then those are the ghosts that show up at the end of 2016 are all of the night sentinels that got scattered in that portal see this is frustrating because this is cool stuff that i wish was given a bit more attention i'm not saying you have to load us up with exposition and backstory but enough to get the point across and this doesn't like this character meant nothing to me and i didn't remember him by the end of the game at all me neither i so i just find that like i wish it was better that's all yeah i read all of these files like a few days after i beat the game and i when i got to the end i was like oh yeah the betrayer was a character mm-hmm. and we met him that is not something i remembered up until the end of and the it's game. really bad because it's really the only other human you actually have a full-on cutscene with so he should be way more memorable human yeah he's a sentinel a human but in quotes. it's it's a human yeah, yeah. um and he looks cool. I mean, he looks like a cool fantasy guy. Yeah, he has a hammer ma- hammer made of red energy. Like, that's cool. He has a bunch of turrets set up. But you mainly just go, he gives you a knife and activates your locator, and then you leave. And that's about it. So, yeah. I mean, he mainly wants to be left alone, and that's fine. But it seems weird to just mm-hmm. gloss over it a little bit. So we get our celestial locator, and we find where the second hell priest is located, and that is in a cultist based in the Arctic, which is a great. We change level locations, we change art style, we change themes. Now we're in the snow. It's very cold. Lots of blues and whites. It looks great, and I love sort of the contrast between the red demons and the snow. It it's really nice looking. Yeah, and the architecture also changes. I'm a really big fan of the architecture in this game. Because the Night Sentinels have these domed buildings with these tall spires and statues. And then you get to the Doom, the cultist base, and it's very industrial, but still with a lot of, like, grandeur. There's these big skulls and, like, altars and stuff. It's very cool looking, and the colors and stuff are also extremely good looking in this stage. Yeah, it's it's really great. This is also where we get the Super Shotgun which rules this sequence is awesome you get it by finding a revenant drone which i guess means it's a revenant that's a robot or it's a hollowed out revenant i don't know it's a revenant that's being controlled by whoever's using the controller basically it's just hacked but it's great you could control a revenant fly it around shoots rockets down at people kind of clear an arena it's very satisfying and then the revenant comes bearing the shotgun to you like a servant bears something to a king it's phenomenal it's a great sequence and you pick it up you reload it while this revenant is still shaking holding its hands up and then you i mean you get the option to not shoot him but you you shoot him directly in the face uh for sure so then we move on um to the next level but it's an extension of sort of this area called the demon hunter base we're still looking for the second hell priest and it's it's time has progressed it's later it's kind of nighttime, kind of twilighty, and this also looks really beautiful. It's very dark. There's a lot more orange in this level. It's very neon. This is where we end up eventually finding the second hell priest. We first have a boss fight with the demon hunter, which we kind of see being built throughout the whole level, which is really cool. Yeah, I love that. the 
the Doom Hunter is a resurrected demon from a long time ago that was apparently really scary, but the Hell Priest has taken these corpses out of these coffins and modified them with, you know, chainsaw arms and rocket launchers and mm-hmm. a robot sled. And you get to see that process as it goes through the level. It's awesome. I think that's really cool because that sets up, you know, what you're going to fight at the end of the level. And I love that kind of stuff. Um, also, this is... The first Hell Priest has no character. You kill him immediately. That's fine. He snips at you before you behead him. That's fine. This one is constantly like talking to you over these talking two levels. Mad shit. It's great. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, is my time up, Slayer? We'll have a try and fight these demons." Ha ha ha. It's so good. And he's like talking to you for these for over these two levels, and it's really great because he has a lot of personality. And it's also not in the way, so you don't really have to pay attention if you don't want to, but, you know... It's fine. It's it's great. And then when you do get to the end, you fight the, the Doom Hunter, and he's like, oh, but wouldn't the, the, the Slayer like some weapons or whatever? <laughs> Just cut his head off as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great time. So after we killed this guy we go back to our fortress and i believe this is where the con maker sort of infiltrates our our domain and kind of puts her hologram on the big thing and our base gets invaded by demons no that that is, or is that later yeah she shows okay. up and is like hey you should cut that out because i don't like it and then she just leaves for a bit okay cool but she does yeah, hide the third hell priest somewhere where you can't locate him Right, and so then... So Vega gets the idea to bring someone who can find the Hell Priest, which is Samuel Hayden from the last game. No, before that we have the Super Gornest, which kind of just pops up out of nowhere. It's kind of just like, uh, okay, we can't find the Hell Priest, uh, but there's a Super Gornest, which I guess is where the demons spawn. That's where the invasion first began, but uh, so there's a bunch of demonic activity happening right when you get back so vega's like you should probably go deal with that yeah it kind of just feels like um we don't have any plot for this level (laughs) but it's it's a bunch of demons go kill them basically one of my favorite levels in the game though because of the way it's designed so it's another city level but this one kind of takes place much more ground level and there's like a lot of shops and they all have these different colored neon signs and it just looks so good and it's kind of a level where you're kind of continuing to come back to a central area and it's just really gross, like, everything looks sinewy and made out of skin. <laughs> yeah, there's eyeballs just in the walls for no reason. It is... It's cool. It is it's grotesque, gross. but in a way that's really cartoonish. And this is also... You mentioned the structure of this level. It is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. There's three gore keys that you get throughout, which unlock different doors. But in a way that sort of loops you around the central area so you're kind of making like a clover pattern as you go out find a key come back and then you have the key to open another area you find a key in there and all the while fighting things and finding secrets and yeah i really love the setup of this level it's really visually also uh, very intense very cool yeah it's very cool and at the end you kind of destroy this big beating heart and it looks so gross like it's it nasty. Pops. It's disgusting, but also great. And then after that is when we get back and we start to look for Samuel Hayden. Well, right at the end of that stage as well, after you destroy the heart, 
you have a very Metroid-ass escape sequence that you have to do <laughs> where it is timed and you have to get to the exit portal. They give you way more than yeah, enough time. But it's kind of great to be like, okay, I got to get out of here. So when they throw two Mancubi at you, then you're like, okay, well, I can just run past them because I got to get out of here. Yeah, it's cool. It is very cool. And the walls are crumbling and the electric and... I, I love the exit sequence. So then we move on to find Samuel Hayden in what is my favorite level aesthetically, which is our complex. And I love this level because, it's, again, it's another city level. And there's a lot of these, but unlike Doom 2016, they really put a lot of effort into making these all visually different. And so this one, again, use, utilizes a lot of neon colors and a lot of cool-looking stuff, but this one has a very dark purple skybox, and you're running through a lot of office areas. And there's just something very visually distinct about it to me that I really appreciate. Yeah. In the lore of this <laughs> level, it is af since the game takes place after 2016, this is at the end of 2016, spoiler for that game, the Hayden takes the demon crucible from you and then he leaves to Earth. So when he gets to Earth, the demons are basically already there. <laughs> so... He, instead of using the Crucible to continue making Argent Energy, he uses it to make a bunch of weapons for the humans, which are those giant mechs that you see in the like background of levels. And with the UAC working to perpetuate the demons, he then forms the ARC, the Ark, to fight the demons. And that's what this Ark complex is. It's completely overrun at this point. They did get demolished, and Samuel Hayden got basically cut in half sometime in the battle so the art complex is also being been destroyed almost yes yeah, so you get there and there are two large tentacles covering the entrance and it's very video gamey setup of you need to get rid of these so there are two for some reason you can't just use one cannon to kill both of them can't get an angle i guess you have to sort of weave your around around this level to get access to these two massive cannons to destroy these big tentacles and it's just, it's just really cool. This is also a level that introduces audio logs, which I will say, Bioshock came out like 10 years ago, guys. Don't put audio logs in your game that I can't continue to play, you know? Yeah, if you walk away from it, then it does kind of fade out. So it's like, here, sit and listen to this. Yeah. To be fair, you can click on it and then walk away and then read it later, but you don't get the voice acting. Yeah, it's, and the voice acting is wonderfully cheesy. Yeah, you get... Some delicious backstory of someone trying to study the Slayer and figuring out that he's not fully human anymore. He used to be, but now he's not, and he can destroy it's, everything. And they start to, she starts to lose it and believe he's God. And it's very, it's legitimately terrible writing, but it's very fun. Yeah, and it's you know you're buffing up the player character as well, just story wise, which is great. For there is only one dominant life form in this universe and it carries a steel-barreled sword of vengeance all hail the coming of the destroyer the slayer's time is now before we get too far into this this level also has a really great moment where you push a down elevator button and then the floor immediately <laughs> breaks. Yes. I found that extremely funny. I just wanted to point that out. That yeah. moment's great. Yeah, so then we go into the art complex and I love this because all of the humans are, they're simultaneously very much respect you and look like they're going to shit themselves a little <laughs> bit. It's great. It's so fun. And they're like giving you these looks and like, it's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah, so you go up, you 
they yammer on about how they need to disconnect Samuel Hayden carefully and Doomslayer, of Final course. Old robot pal. Yeah. <laughs> Doomslayer, of course, just rips him directly out of the machine and <laughs> slams him on the ground because he does not fully catch him. And this is where then the first Marauder shows first up. First Marauder fight, which we talked about earlier and in. It is what it is. I, I don't mind this first fight, like I said. It's only when they show up as a common enemy that it becomes a problem for me. And, yeah, I I like this level a lot. Um, I like Samuel Hayden. I like the interaction where he just rips him out. This, this is one thing that this game has less of, is less of Doom Guy just punching exposition. <laughs> Which I think is kind of a shame, but, hey, whatever. Yeah, and it's weird because while we do want more story in the game and also Doom Slayer not caring about this story, it's kind of a weird trade-off, but I think this game balances it enough where Doom Guy doesn't really care about the story, but he is definitely a part of it, so he kind of just wanders through it. Doom Guy is getting the job done. Yeah. the This level also has good looping structure where you return to that center area before heading off to the next cannon. It's cool, just gives the level a good cohesive feel absolutely so then we get samuel hayden we get him back to the ship or to the fortress of doom we kind of throw him into a weird generator thing that connects him to the ship so he's living in the computer with vega now yep which you know you're kind of like oh trust him now do we um yeah he's chill but he's great great voice acting fun whatever filter they use makes him sound like a transformer yeah the, the transformer filter and then we get again more this part feels more like doom 2016 where he's like you have to get to the core of mars but there's no way to do that and doom slayer walks up to a monitor and pulls up like bfg space cannon flat cannon thing bfg 10,000. and samuel hayden's like you can't just blow a hole in the middle of mars and then it pulls a portal two where it then shows the mission objective on your screen and says shoot a hole in mars <laughs> it's really fun it's so dumb and funny and it's, it's like oh Samuel Hayden, stop complaining. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yes, yeah, so we get Mars Core, which is another really fun level. This, yeah. This, this level starts out on the moon Phobos, where Doomslayer immediately just teleports into the command center. And the same thing with the end of the last level where all the humans are like, oh, <laughs> oh no. This scene, this scene was shown before the game came out as well, and you can find it on YouTube, but it's where he walks in and all of the humans like once they catch a sight of him just immediately go either rigid or start running away yeah. and they go like oh my god it's him yeah and it's important to know we're here because we need to get to the center of mars because there's a portal to sentinel prime and there and it's the only way to get there and that's where the third hell priest is samuel hayden did find him yeah so one of my notes i've tomb slayer opens the door with a scientist key card that is still attached to them via lanyard like a real asshole <laughs> he does just scare like, the know, shit just, out of that just ask. it's fine just no, ask he just grabs him drags him over to the keypad scans it and then leaves yep and this level aesthetically it's kind of like you're bouncing between different spaceships and or space stations or whatever and it's just cool it looks nice yeah this is also where you get the bfg 9000 yep so yeah that's the next thing is big cannons with bfgs in them and she sort of rips the BFG out, and this is where you get that weapon again. Mm-hmm. After he does shoot a hole in Mars. Yep, BFG, so BFG 10,000 blow, blow up Mars, and then BFG 9,000 obtained. Is Yeah, the BFG 9,000 is what's powering the 10,000, which seems ridiculous, but I do love that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's not how that works. 
but whatever. Yeah, there's lore. The lore file says that like they pump gaseous energy into the filters to amplify it's like yeah whatever it's just a <laughs> it's a big amplifier for the 9000 and then i have doomsayer launches himself out of a bfg cannon while hayden complains a lot yeah because at this point you do you're on phobos and you need to get to the core of mars which you just blew open so it starts with you i think you first get to where you're just jumping along these floating platforms which is really cool it really shows off the dash maneuver as a platforming tool you can dash between these little planetoids, and mm-hmm. that's when Doom Hunter then loads himself into a cannon and shoots himself all the way across space. For a game that's very action-packed, this level felt particularly action-packed and very fun. There's a battle constantly being waged around you. It it just felt great. It reminded me a lot of actually the opening level of Halo 2, including when he launches himself out of the cannon. It felt <laughs> very much like when Master Chief throws himself out of the spaceship onto Earth. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Lots of cheese there. You get to the center of Mars with the lost city of Habeth, which was buried under Mars somehow. Um, there, at the center of Mars, is a portal that takes you to Sentinel Prime. Sentinel Prime, which is our next level. And this is where we get flashbacks, and I have in my notes, LOL, Doomguy's voice. Um, so, yeah, we get flashbacks to Doomguy, I guess, like you said earlier, when he's he gets to Sentinel Prime, and he's going to be a Night Sentinel. They find him in hell after, I guess, the events of Doom 64? The, well... Something like that? I don't think it explains it. He mainly just shows up on Sentinel Prime. Um, so they bring him in, they throw him in the prison like they do with everyone, and then all the prisoners have a chance to earn glory by fighting in the arena, which is then the next flashback where he is in the arena and he ha- there's just, like, beaten up combatants all over the floor and he is talking which is weird (laughs) and he just yells rip and tear it's very very cheesy and you know honestly it's very bad voice acting but the more i sit with it the more i like it at first i was like this is so bad why do they do this but the more i kind of like i think it's funny and it 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 does fit in a weird way Yeah, but because of his prowess in the arena, he gets brought before the con maker, and they—that's when the cons or the makers and the sentinels learn of hell and the demons. Which, like, right after they learn about them, the demons invade Taras Nabad, which is the next level, or is further on. But mm-hmm. that's kind of Doom Guy shows up. He gets put in the arena. He kicks ass in the arena, and he gets to become a Night Sentinel after that. And that's what the flashback shows. Yep. And then, so this, this is a very short level. Um, you kind of go through, and it shows you these flashbacks. It's honestly very story-based, which is surprising for Doom. This is the level that has no enemies up until the boss fight, yeah? Yeah. Yep. Which is weird it's for a Doom level. <laughs> interesting. Um, I wonder how purists feel about that. <laughs> I enjoyed it. So. I, I enjoyed it, too. So... We have we have a boss fight with the Hell Priest's Guardian, and I forget the name of this guy. This is the Gladiator. Gladiator. It's fine. It's an okay boss fight. Um, nothing wrong with it. It's long, but it's okay. It feels like just a bigger version of the Marauder for the first half. I wasn't as frustrated with it, but yeah. Yeah, totally. well, mainly because he is bigger, so you can strafe around him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's slower, so... Kind of get him from behind. Yeah. 
he has a big shield which with has a giant demon face on it which is fantastic mm-hmm. you shoot him you blow up his shield then he has a second mallet in his back pocket <laughs> he then proceeds to attack you with that um this also does like a cool which i didn't actually notice the attack until i fought the thing for a second time where he'll throw both of his mallets and form energy walls kind of like the cyber mm-hmm. demon did and then has like an energy wave that you have to jump energy over wave you have to like time it or move in like you have to move to the correct spot it almost yeah. feels like a boss on a 3d platformer or something it reminded me a lot of the cyber demon from 2016 so yeah that's true or kind of boxes you in yeah but it's, it's, a, it's a decent boss fight honestly um and then we have the third hell priest who for some reason just doesn't run <laughs> comes in and he starts monologuing about how you can't kill him and how he's safe there because and... that's one of like i guess the rules for the sentinel people is if you kill another one then you are excommunicado <laughs> so yeah. he doomslayer proceeds to shoot the hell priest directly yeah directly in the face with the super shotgun in the middle of monologue which i always love in an action movie and then the sentinels then turn on the slayer at that point because he has just killed one of the three hell priests yep and then before we fight them vega goes got a portal for you and you hop in and you're done uh next we have taurus nadad uh, uh yeah so with the hell oh, that's right okay with the third hell priest killed the con maker is like okay well now i don't have the blood ritual to take over earth so i'm just gonna go ahead and resurrect the icon of sin icon of sin which all the way from doom 2 yeah was the final boss in doom 2 i believe lore wise this is a different icon of sin because the doom 1 and 2 take place in a different universe but it is still a very large titan and doom guy knows that so he has to travel to taras nabod to get his crucible back in order to kill the titan yep and basically the thing about this level is well they introduce swimming in this level which, to be fair, is barely used, but I hate. I really don't like it. I think it's it's not good, right? Um, and the problem, too, is every time you swim, the water's toxic. So it's hurting you constantly, and you have to find sort of power-ups to give you shield. And I just don't think it's a great mechanic, uh, traversal-wise. Luckily, they don't really give you enemies to deal with while you're doing that, but it's yeah, and notable. That's, and that should be said for the platforming, too. There's not really enemies to fight while platforming which i think works because while this game does remove bottomless pits instantly killing you instead it just hearts you and then puts you back on the back up on the floor the it would be really annoying if you're doing like a platforming section and then there's also caca demons so they very rarely throw enemies while doing that mm-hmm. same with the swimming you don't have any weapons you don't you are swimming which you know if you've played any game with a water level it's not gonna be the best but the main thing that holds this back is that you can't dash straight up (laughs) yep and it's it's really annoying but whatever it's again rarely used and not so long it's actually a true problem and to be fair you don't ever really there's only like twice when you have to actually swim upwards most of the time it's you swim down, break the drain pipe, and then it drains so that mm-hmm. you don't have to swim up. Yeah, it's not the end of the world, but just thought it was worth noting. And then he receives, I guess, is this what the Crucible is? <laughs> yeah, so back in the backstory, Taurus Nabod was the first place invaded by the demons. The first sentinel place invaded by the demons. 
and it destroyed the demons destroyed most of the city um no one knew how to fight the demons because they were using what's known as essence basically human souls to power themselves up so this mysterious figure which we don't ever really figure out who it is takes the slayer to the divinity machine which we do see in this level and powers him up with uh, divine strength and immortality which is why his blood has different stuff in it as mentioned in the art complex level um, but with this power now he can proceed to fight the demons with the night sentinels and using his crucible blade he slays the titan that's destroying Tarznabod. but in order to keep this titan dead you have to leave the crucible in it right and for and just to explain to people who don't know crucible dope ass sword yeah, dope-ass energy sword. The crucible was a thing in the last game, and you see it for like a couple seconds when Samuel Hayden takes it from you and then activates it as a sword, and you're like, that's dope. And then the game ends. Yep. So this, you actually have to go get your crucible, not the demon crucible, but a different one that the Slayer owns. And Taurus Nabot is empty now, so he doesn't feel bad about resurrecting a titan there because he needs it to kill the Icon of Sin. Yep, and so... The Crucible kind of works like the BFG, where you can, you kind of get three shots with it, and they're pickups around the battlefield or around the area, um, and it's basically a one shot on almost any demon except for the Marauders. Thank you, game. But yeah. everything else is basically a one shot animation. Uh, the Marauders and the Doom Hunters, I believe, are the two. Oh right, can't but it will take out their armor. Yes, except for the Marauder. Yeah. The Marauder is completely immune to it. Yeah. Yeah. But So it's basically another power weapon, which basically gives you six chances of the power, power weapon, including the BFG, which is cool. BFG has two shots. So two you shots. Have, oh, two shots. That's, so that's you have right. five, five super weapon ammo, three of which is targeted specifically at one demon that you want to kill, but it kills anything in one shot, minus the two mentioned. And the BFG will clear out everything in the arena except for those super enemies yeah it's cool it's a uh, it's fun to get to slice demons up uh, especially the first time they give it to you because there's ammo they basically throw you into an arena with a ton of ammo ammo all around which i think respawns in that room oh does it that in the final boss i think yeah, they the definitely, definitely respawn yeah that's it's it's really fun just run around slicing demons up um i want to get your take on this but this level felt incredibly sad <laughs> yes it's very lonely there's not a whole lot going on. The other levels kind of have battles going around constantly. This one's there's just doesn't seem to be any life, which I think is their goal. This one, yeah, but I don't know. I feel like the tone of this level mainly just you're in the midst of all this ancient, destroyed civilization and all of that is it just felt really sad yeah. and the tone of it was, you know, you go from I mean Sentinel Prime was also kind of a sad level you know going through this backstory of the slayer but you go from blowing a hole in mars to backstory and being really sad it felt a little weird i didn't mind it i think it breaks up the pacing fairly well and i mean part of that too is the ost here's a lot more somber than it is in the other missions yeah um it kind of changes pace which is nice but yeah it does break up the pacing and slows it down a bit um so then we have we have Necroval. Necroval. And this this is a level that's split into two parts. So you get Necroval 1 and 2. Uh, before we get to that, would you mind the rest of this backstory? Because this will set up what okay. Necroval is all yeah. about. Do it. Be so, it to me. Um, after the Slayer kills 
the Titan on Taurus Nabod, the demonic war is still going on against the other Sentinel worlds, and they don't really have a... Other than the Slayer, they can't really kill the demons. So the Daag priests and the Con Maker discover the source of the demon's power, which is Essence, which is, again, just kind of refined human souls. And they begin to use that themselves to be able to fight the demons. And this is great. It turns the tide of the war. But the the king of the Sentinels, which in this age is King Novik, who is the ghost from earlier, and some of the other more faithful Night Sentinels refuse to use Essence, including the Slayer. And the Essence begins to corrupt the Conmaker, the Daog Priests, and then the Sentinels who are using it. And then they begin to sort of turn evil because of it. So the Conmaker makes a deal with the Devil to build a giant structure in Hell at the city of Necroval in order to combine Essence with a Sentinel energy to form Argent energy. And Necroval is the place where that's created and then beamed directly to Erdak, the homeworld of the Makers. So the Slayer and his band of Night Sentinels are aware of the evil that this is causing. They start a civil war against the rest of the Night Sentinels and the Daog Priests and the Conmaker. And the Daog Priests then tell the Slayer about Necroval and open a portal as a way of being like, okay, we know this is bad, go take care of it. They open the portal, the Sentinels and the Slayer go through it. This is where the Betrayer then is convinced by the priests and hell that if they if he scatters the priests or the sentinels in hell then he'll have his son resurrected but he is lied to that's why he is in exile and gives you the celestial locator he wants to be left alone because he betrayed all of his people um everyone all of the sentinels get scattered in hell the only one that manages to not get killed by the demons is the doom slayer in which he gets put in a sarcophagus to be resurrected for doom 2016 but the art the city in necroval with the uh soul foundry that's forming argent energy is where this next level takes place yeah so i wish that some of that was explained through the game <laughs> um so yeah so we go to necroval um and it does tell us this is where we learn the conmaker struck a deal yeah hayden does tell you this. so we get that and then we also learn um that this is sort of a processing plant for human souls to turn them into argent energy yeah which is metal and very doom and <laughs> and the reason we're here is that we're it since this beams argent energy directly to erdak which is where the conmaker is summoning the icon of sin we're hoping that the and Argent Energy Stream can send us to Erdak, which you can't, no human has ever been to. And so then we get to Erdak, which has a very Destiny esque art style and vibe. I love the architecture. Yeah, of this level. it's very cool looking. Um, and like I said, it doesn't look, it wouldn't look out of place in a Destiny game. Yeah, you have this cosmic skybox going around with these big puffy clouds. This is essentially Doom Heaven. You know, mm-hmm. the con, the Con Maker being an angel and the maker angels are also there and then the maker drones which are below them and you know the slayer 
gets teleported up there after he destroys Necroval, of course. The Slayer can't go anywhere without destroying something. And it should be noted, the conmaker's motivation here, um, without Argent Energy, this world will die. Essentially, is what they say. Yeah, because, and there's <laughs> more lore about this, the angels, ca- the makers can die. It's called something else, but essentially they'll die. And the conmaker is, like, the queen bee. She controls the entire, like, um sent the maker consciousness and when one maker dies the next is reborn with the help of the father basically god but god disappeared somehow so the con maker then fears that if she dies that and she dies of natural causes which she's using argent energy to counter then there won't be another con maker and the erdak will fall just a side uh, gameplay note in this level. This was the first time where they changed the color of the climbable walls. They, um, they're they gray the whole time until now they're gold. And the first time I ran into them, I didn't realize that. And so I ran around, like, it's basically a tower part where you're kind of climbing up a tower. It's like an elevator and you have to jump off to the side. And I was running around, like, I couldn't figure it out for, like, an embarrassingly long amount of time. Yeah, and... To be not fair, the game's problem. They're yeah. they're still marked as climbable. I just for some reason my brain did not click that into place. Cause yeah, because they, they still color. have the footholds and all that. Yeah, but... just a funny note. Not a not an issue with the game itself. Yeah, Erdak has this really cool architecture. Everything's like smooth on the outside, but then when you get into sort of where the into the inner machinations of it, it's like this lattice work in terms of like construction. It's very alien. It looks super cool. And you'd think being in heaven, you wouldn't have to fight demons, but you do. <laughs> you super do, and this, they also introduce a new, new um, enemy type. But you mentioned earlier, are they the drones? Then yeah, the maker drones. Yeah, they're super satisfying, by the way, to headshot because they pop like a pinata. <laughs> yeah, and this is the only enemy that, if you get a headshot, it will drop ammo, health, yep. and armor mm-hmm. all at once. <laughs> yep. Um, but they are their bodies are super resilient to everything else. Which, in the heat of battle, trying to get a headshot is a little annoying until I realized you can just hit their head with the super shotgun. That's a little more consistent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, you get to Erdak, you find the con maker trying to resurrect the icon of sin with the betrayer's son's heart. That's what that heart is, is okay. the betrayer's son. And the icon of sin is a demonic resurrection of the betrayer's son. So when the betrayer gave you the knife, that's what's going to set his son's soul free from the icon and that's why the maker can no longer control it when you destroy the heart yep so we destroy the heart and then we have what i think is the best boss fight in the game against the maker the con maker the con maker yeah and it's it's um so it basically operates like she flies around she has wings again very angel-esque and you basically have to weaken her enough to where and i forget how they indicate this but you basically shoot her enough to weaken her and then you can use your super shotgun's meat hook to launch into the middle of her chest where there's a glowing ball that you have to attack. Which you blood punch. Yeah. The way it indicates that she's damaged enough, other than her health bar changing, is her wings go from yellow to green. Okay. So it's very visually distinct. You know when you can actually deal with it. Yeah, and it's, it's a cool boss fight. I think it changes the gameplay slightly while also maintaining the integrity of it. Yeah, um, my biggest problem with this boss fight is that one, the only fodder enemies are maker drones, and getting a headshot while trying to avoid her attacks is a little cumbersome. And two, as the fights go on, she begins to make the floors hazardous. 
Yes. And until and then the last phase, like everything except for two little circles are not hazardous. So it is extremely rough and can drain your health really fast while you're trying to shoot at a boss that's flying above you and you're supposed to look at the floor. That's when I got fed up and just used all three BFG shots directly at oh, that's her. That's funny. This was this one was the only one I legitimately liked. I did not have those issues. I wonder though. I was using the rune that like lets you slow down time in the air. Did you use that one? Uh, I did not ever use. I that feel one, like for so. those maker drones, that was really helpful. Yeah, I can see why that would be helpful. Um, but yeah, this was the only boss fight I truly liked in this game. Yeah. Um, speaking of you know, what we mentioned last time, which is first person shooters and boss fights don't typically mix well, at least in my opinion. And I think this game is. Further proof of that, though I did enjoy this one. Yeah, this this boss fight is really enjoyable. I love the way she, you know, moves around and like the sound she makes and summons stuff and throws very energy projectiles. Cool. Yeah, it's really pretty. Um, very visually distinct as well. Yeah. So we we defeat her. She gives us some vague warning, whatever. Icon is in, and then we open. After this, we have to open the portal. No, this is when the portal's open. Yeah, okay. So then we open the portal, we go back to Earth to a level called Final Sin. Because the when the con maker lost control of it, the hel- the icon of sin just walked through a giant portal and is now on Earth. So yep. you gotta go stop that because it's gonna destroy the entire planet. <laughs> yep, and so we get to Final Sin, and for off the bat, I will say aesthetically, my least favorite level in the game. I think it's very boring. It's very gray. It's kind of the only level that doesn't feel like it has an identity to me, yeah. personally, aside from the final boss. The Yeah, the level design is very similar to all the other Earth levels. There is one arena in this level where they summon a tyrant right in the middle. It's got that big open mm-hmm. debris area, and then there's floors above it. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. That one is really cool. Um, but the rest, it's very visually similar, but this is one of like the best mechanically yes best final boss levels before a final boss well that so that's what i was going to say is visually i don't like this level but mechanically gameplay wise i love it all the arenas are great it's super fun I, they throw so much at you and yeah they throw marauders at you too but whatever like i i, I just love it it's pure gameplay in that sense and it works so well and this is the level that tests every bit of knowledge of the game so far they throw every enemy and they throw them in you know a good (laughs) like arena sized area and they throw multiple at them so you have to prioritize targets you're doing that a lot of motion a lot of dashing it really pushed your skills to the test and it is really some of these levels take place in office buildings where there are multiple floors and it just it feels really cool it's a really good final level Mm -hmm. and then we get to the final boss which i absolutely hated and bums me out I actually, once I realized that all the ammo is respawning, yes. that's when I actually really enjoyed this fight. Well, it's not the ammo, it's the sword ammo, right? Everything else doesn't. Uh, the sword ammo and the chainsaw fuel respawns. The BFG does not. Yeah, so that was really frustrating, too, to get to that and be conserving it the whole time. Because the whole time, I, I had to replay this thing like five times. And, like, the first couple of times, I didn't realize that, so I was saving all the sword ammo because I'm like, well, I don't want to waste it because mm-hmm. this just gets harder and harder and essentially what this is it's the icon of sin and you're kind of locked down to this rooftop destroyed building area and um it's in two phases actually the first phase you're on this one building and the, you have to shoot the icon of sin in specific spots all around its body um and you have to shoot it enough to where the skin basically blows off the armor actually in this first phase it's armor 
And after that, for some reason, you can't continue to shoot them in that same spot for damage. Yeah, which that's makes the most, no sense. That's the most annoying part is trying to hit specific parts, specifically like the hands, which move all over the place and standing in place to damage the torso or like the bottom stomach area. Those are the most annoying parts. It is kind of lame that it doesn't just you can't just continue to shoot it. But I guess it that kind of makes, makes sense. Does it? Well, because otherwise then it would just be a giant bullet sponge wall, yes. and that would be a little from bit From a video game perspective, but just from a common sense perspective, oh, no, that does it's not make any nonsense. Sense. Yeah. Like, to be clear, you blow off, like, let's say the left chest piece of its armor. Once you do that, its chest is now invulnerable for some reason, and you have to shoot all the other armor first. Yeah, at which point he walks through a portal, and then you get to the next phase where you can hurt the flesh. Yes, and the next phase is a lot more enjoyable. I found, particularly, it's probably also because I learned that the resources in the arenas respond. In a way, the first phase is kind of similar to the original Icon of Sin boss. You know, he's kind of stuck on one wall of the arena, and you have to pump rockets in a specific spot of his body. Obviously, there are more spots, but in a way, it's kind of similar. And also, he's constantly throwing enemies at you. Um, you know, tough enemies as well. And in a way, I can respect the homage, but having that pure chaos of trying to deal with everything is kind of a lot. And he's slamming his fist on the arena too, which I forgot to mention. And in that first arena in particular, I found that, I don't know if it's a bug or if it's just not a well-telegraphed mechanic, I would be next to his fist, not, he wouldn't be hitting me with it, and it would still launch me in random directions. Yeah. Which would get me killed a lot. That does... I think that was intentional, actually. If you're somewhat close to it, it will launch you way far into the arena. There's no fall damage in this game, thankfully. So. But it launches... But there's a lot of spots where it can launch you off the building. Yeah. And I just... I just wish they telegraphed that then and made, like, a shockwave or something mm-hmm. to denote, like, oh, this is gonna happen. But, yeah, that is what it is. And, like I said, I think the second phase is a lot better. They kind of give you an area where there's cover in the middle of the arena in this one. Because it's another problem with the first phase is there's almost no cover. Um, So you can kind of run down there if you need to, regain health, or find a fodder enemy. Yeah, and this this second phase is a square, and he'll actually walk around to different sides of the square. So that keeps you more engaged looking where he's at. Mm -hmm. And then dealing with the surplus of pinkies that he'll throw at you in this phase, and cacodemons, and... Yep, and also in this phase, because you've previously blown all of his armor off, now you're shooting his skin and kind of exposing yeah, you're blowing him the insides up of him, which looks a lot cooler. Okay, but this is... I have a note here in my personal notes. The Icon of Sin second phase is the only part of the game that actually yucked me out with its gore. Really? That's where it got to be too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... That's obviously going to be a, a... Yeah, it's kind of a personal point. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not going to yuck everyone out. And from experience, having played this with my parents sometimes walking into the room, they also are the kind of people that will not look at the screen when the game is on at all because they really <laughs> do not like that, which they watched the thing last night. So I don't... Their standards are weird. But the <laughs> getting... You know, this game also has destructible demons where I mentioned the arachnotrons, they have like rib cages in them, you can blow yep. their chunks off, but I don't know, that feels fine, but then when you get a fully bloody missing part icon of sin, that's where it got to me. 
That's interesting. I will say, um, I didn't really make note of it, but the first time I watched the, the, the normal zombies, when they get a little bit battle damaged, they're kind of like half the skin being ripped off their corpses. I That that I thought was kind of gross. Okay, yeah. And, and those are... Much. That is a little... Because, you know, the demons, they're cartoonish. That's fine. But when it's a human, it's a little bit grosser. Yeah. Um, but that's fair enough. I totally get it. That wasn't to imply that... Um, I think that's wrong, by the way. But yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, you get you you do that. You finish the fight. You and stick the crucible directly into its exposed brain. It's cool, and it freezes in place like the previous Titan did. And then we get credits. Game yeah. over. You get a little monologue from the dead King Novik saying, "You know, your fight will be eternal, mm-hmm. and that it won't ever stop as long as you're protecting the humans." and it's like okay well that's kind of a little sad in a way like oh he's it doesn't feel as satisfying as it should because of that but you're not allowed to retire doom slayer never yeah he's perpetually in this gig but i mean what a climactic way to end the game and i appreciate this so much compared to doom 2016's which i think is kind of a letdown of an ending this one I, i thought was much stronger and felt good it was very satisfying yeah, fighting a ginormous titan that is the size of the arena is extremely climactic, if a bit annoying and time-consuming, but it looks really cool. It does. So, after that, unless you have anything else you want to talk about the story, main campaign, anything? Um, The credits are really cute, because you actually get to see all the developers hanging yes. out. This was one of the few games where I sat through the entirety of the credits. You know, honestly, I normally do that. <laughs> This game I did not, and I think it's because I played this game on a PC this time. Um, and I don't know. I just didn't want to sit in my computer chair, so I didn't sit through them. That's um, fair. But I did, you know, that's cool. I always appreciate it when developers are showcased. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen enough. Yeah, cause, and that's something that the developers do a lot is complimenting their coworkers and the different teams that work on things. You know, they don't try to take credit for everything. And I think that's really cool. And seeing the game design come through we mentioned this with the last game where you can see the personality of the developers and where they took inspiration and where they sort of brought design mentality it kind of gives a lot of personal flavor to the game and i really enjoy that yeah it's nice So let's think quickly that this game also has multiplayer mode. It's quite a bit different from Doom 2016's. Doom 2016 kind of opted for a deathmatch approach, a Call of Duty or a Halo. This one has a little bit more of a unique multiplayer, which I feel like is a double-edged sword, at least for me personally. It's called battle mode, and what this essentially does is it pits one demon slayer against two heavy demons. And there are other demons in the arena, AI-controlled demons. Um, but they're mostly fodder. Yeah, and the player-controlled demons can spawn some other bigger uh, AI demons. And this was actually one of... This was handled in-house at id, whereas the last one was outsourced. 
the multiplayer was. Right. Which is interesting, and the developers have a lot of passion for this multiplayer, but it seems it seems more geared toward co-op play for the demons, and it's not very like solo unless you're playing as the slayer yeah and real quick i do want to say uh, on a personal level i didn't hate the the um the multiplayer from the last game i thought it had some neat ideas and kind of wanted to see them improve on it and so i'm a bit bummed they didn't try again um i get that they wanted to do it in-house um instead of having i believe certain affinity did it last time but i don't know it just i was kind of like oh i would have liked to see them try again they could have done something special with that um, but whatever. It is what it is. I think it's kind of a creative idea, but also it's very complicated. And I ran through the tutorial last night, and it's a really bad tutorial. Oh yeah, it is really slow. In a, in a game that already had... And, you know, in the main campaign, the tutorial shows up, and you just push the button to close it, and then mm-hmm. you can read it, push the button to close it. It does that for some of the super heavies, and when the demons show up it's like here's a weak point for the demons so you know what's happening and i have a nitpick about that later but the uh the multiplayer tutorial just really holds your hand through it and it is really annoying and normally i like to skip tutorials and just kind of figure it out but when it's online and you have a bunch of mechanics to learn on the fly and you have a teammate that's counting on you it is really slow yeah for something that is so has so many systems and ideas you really need to have bots, I believe, for a thing like this, so a player can have a chance to practice before going online, and that was a frustrating thing for me, doing this and be like, okay, can I practice before I try to go online and disappoint people? <laughs> no? Okay. So I played one match, I will say, last night, and absolutely hated it. <laughs> so I, my perspective might be a little skewed, I will say, I have largely lost a lot of taste and interest in multiplayer games unless it's a call of duty or a halo i tend to stay away so keep that in mind listener if you love this mode sorry that's just not my thing and i'm i played about 10 rounds of this i think i played once as each of the different demon types which i'm gonna call bs because one of the demon types is marauder and you don't get a shield (laughs) what (laughs) how am i supposed to win as this guy whatever um it's enjoyable on both sides. I personally enjoy playing as the Slayer more because, you know, it's basically just the same mechanics as the campaign, and that's easy to understand. But I am the kind of person that will just play the campaign instead. Yeah. Is there anything specific you want to talk about multiplayer before I move on? Um, not specifically. I think the strategy of the demons is interesting, but I... As a person who is nervous on a voice chat and mm-hmm. honestly never encountered someone that had voice chat turned on, it seems weird to strategize unless you have a close friend playing with you. That's where I personally like playing the Slayer because that is a very single player multiplayer effect, if that makes sense. So I don't know. If you want some multiplayer, it's interesting and I can see you know, higher level players maybe getting more into it, but it's it's there if you want it. Yeah, I, it came across to me as like one of a weird side mode in a Halo or a Call of Duty that has bigger main, more fleshed out multiplayer modes. And it, it just felt a little, it felt like it needed more attention or more options. Definitely a better tutorial. And we should say that they plan on 
releasing free updates with more content for multiplayer, like different playable demons and such, that's fine. And we're, we're discussing what was available at launch, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's fine. It's fun if you like that kind of thing, but... And it's a different take, you know, that 2v1 can be interesting, but I I think I like it more than you do, but it's still yeah. not quite my thing. Yeah, it's just fine. And then also, no snap map in this game, which sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that is a huge loss. I could see the snap map being really complicated for the level design in these games, in this game particular, because of the different motion and like platforming things you would be, have to incorporate, but... Yeah, it is kind of a loss, but that's such a cool thing in the last one, and I want to see them build on it. Maybe that's something that'll be put in later editions, but yeah, maybe the we know nothing about the DLC as of the time of recording. We know that there will be some, but it's we know nothing about it. Maybe snap map, maybe just more demons, maybe more campaign levels, whatever. Um, As is. It's a it's a loss. The multiplayer is fine, but mm-hmm. the campaign sells this on its own. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely. And I looked at my Steam clock, and it was he said like sixteen hours. Probably subtract about an hour from just waiting around and doing nothing. You know, probably about a fifteen hour campaign for me on normal, which is totally worth it. And there's a lot to do and go back if I want to replay. Like if if that's important to you guys' value, it's got a lot of it. I think. Yeah, and there's a lot of charm, you know, you get the, some of the collectibles we didn't mention were the, the toy figurines, which are super adorable, and I want to physically buy all of them. Yeah. There's also the um, the Music. records, yeah. which are have custom metal art, like, vinyl covers for them, and their songs from Quake and Wolfenstein, and Commander Keem, and other Doom games that you can listen to in the hub, and... All of that is really great if you want to go back and find them. Oh, and cheat codes, which is a really cool one. Yeah, the cheat codes are fantastic, actually, because it makes, if you are someone like me wanting to look for all of the collectibles, when you replay a stage to go look for them, you can turn on cheat codes and still get the collectibles. And it's stuff like infinite ammo or infinite lives or constant haste, constant quad damage, that kind of stuff, confetti mode. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And... The only thing that having cheat codes on limits is accessing Slayer's Gates for obvious reasons, because they're supposed to be a combat challenge. So you could still go around and find records and collectibles and stuff if you want, while not having to endure a bunch of challenging fights if you don't want to do that again. (laughs) Yeah, which is fun and adds a lot of replayability and just cool stuff you can do. Is there anything you want to talk about the game in general? You can play Doom 1 and 2 in it. Yes. It's great. (laughs) Yes. They even have Doom 1 and 2 in their entirety. If you collect all of the cheat codes, then it unlocks Doom 1. And Doom 2, if you enter the name Flynn Taggart, just Google it. It's the Doom Slayer's retconned name now. Then you can unlock all of Doom 2. They're full games, which is really surprising since these games are also for sale. You would think they would want to make money off those, but I'm totally cool with it. It's great to have them there. Yeah, that's fun. That's a, that's a cool thing.
So, in terms of the legacy of this game, obviously it just came out. There's not really a ton to talk about. They have DLC planned, as we've mentioned earlier. We don't really know what that is, or at least I don't believe we do. If we're supposed to, then Bethesda did not communicate it very well. Um, but as far as this podcast goes, we have, we're talking about doing a Doom 64 episode. I don't know when that will be. I don't know if it'll be soon or a lot later. I don't know. But just to give you guys an idea. And then we were also talking about doing the Doom movies as sort of fun one-offs. Again, don't know when. We'll probably save those for when we're heck, when our lives are too hectic and we need something to fill. Um, but that, those are the plans for that stuff. If the DLC happens to be heavily story, heavily story based, we might do an episode on that. But that remains to be seen, obviously. And I'm pretty confident there'll be another full Doom game in a couple of years. Oh yeah, it it feels like they still have more to more to share and more gameplay to give us, and I'm all for it. Yeah, this is obviously a money maker for them, and that'll happen for sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, do you have any closing thoughts or anything you want to say? Nope. I mean. Go play this game. It's a fantastic shooter. It's a fantastic action game. It's already looking to be one of my favorite games of the year this early on. So we'll see how that pans out. But very good. Very good game. Completely agree. So it's hard because we have not, as of recording this episode, we actually have not released any episodes of the podcast. So giving you guys an idea of what's coming up next might be a little challenging. So this might change... But we were talking about doing Final Fantasy VII Remake next. And also we were mentioning the Anodyne series, sort of indie games. Which might happen after that. And of course I mentioned Doom 64 earlier. So you have those things to look forward to. Potentially, unless things change. Again, we're kind of recording this way in the past, so who knows. Yep, it's all up in the air, but we will you know, continue to let you guys know as we think about it. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening. And don't forget to rip and tear. (laughs) 